Good morning, welcome to the Mr. Elvin Podcast. It's Tuesday, February 27th. I'm your host, Jamie Mottram. Joining from the city paper, as ever, it's Matt Turrell. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jamie. How are you? I'm good, man. Um, I want to keep this thing going, this little podcast thing. Um, well, in two, I mean that in two ways. One is we've been using an app called Bumpers uh, to do the Mr. Elvin Podcast for the better part of a year. Bumpers is uh, going away. RIP Bumpers. It's been a good run. Uh, we have not figured out yet what our next technical solution will be, but rest assured, we'll probably be asking you to download another app. Well, hopefully whatever other app we use will also go to uh, iTunes, Stitcher, um, Play FM, uh, the Zune, whatever you use, you'll be able to uh, listen on, we hope. Maybe. I, I don't know. I'm not very technically proficient when it comes to podcasting. I was able to set this up with bumpers. And yes, you can subscribe to Mr. Relevant on iTunes. But I do not know if that feed will continue or, or whatever. But enough about that. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll let you guys know when there's, when there's news on that front. But we do want to carry forward this trend lately of not talking about DC sports on a DC sports podcast. Um, a couple weeks ago, we did a episode about your uh, Disney cruise, which was very convincing. Um, I don't know if I'll be going back to the Magic Kingdom. Might be trying to steer this thing into a cruise ship situation. There you uh, go. Then we did our uh, '90s soundtracks draft last week. I'm still listening to uh, Stone Temple Pilots' "Big Empty" on repeat. Um, and both of those were uh, for, for me. It's been uh, for me. It's been the Reservoir Dogs soundtrack. Yeah, and actually, I, I, should, I should I should say because I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast itself, but you actually made a, uh, a playlist of all the songs and whatever that we, uh, that we mentioned. So you can find that. What's your, how do people find the Matt Turrell playlist on Spotify? Like, what do they search? Is it just Matt Turrell? Uh, no, cause Matt Turrell was the one that got Shanghai'd by my family and is like 800% Moana songs. So I have a second account that's mine that is less my family. Uh, I think it's Turrell, Turrell, Turrell. Uh, but you could also just go to MrIrrelevant.com and uh, see Jamie's post on the subject there, mm. which I believe links out to it. I forgot that I actually made a post. That was I know. Like the first it's blog a, post in some time. I forgot, to, yeah, well, I forgot a, to plug it. It's like doing something that you used to do in 2007 and trying to remember that you still do it now. You it's know challenging. What, you know what was like a minor thrill was there like a couple people left comments on that post. And really? I, I thought commenting was dead. So I was very, very thankful. I, I forget who they were. Sorry. But uh, I was very thankful. Well, that, that's actually a decent segue uh, into, into our topic. I'll throw it back to you. But, but you were a, uh, a visionary uh, in the field of shutting down the comment section on websites, uh, <laughs> as I recall it. Um, and and yeah. that, that was in your role as a, your actual role, not your 90s sports uh, excuse me, 90 soundtrack and DC sports podcast host role. So what trip did you, you just get back from? Why don't you go ahead and table set on that? Okay. So our, our third installment here of non DC sports is going to be all about the Sloan analytics conference, Sloan analytics conference in Boston, which I just attended for the first time last week. Uh, it was a big deal, man. Well, give, give a real basic table setting for anybody who uh, doesn't even know what the Sloan analytics conference is. What, what is it just at the basic level? Uh, I think it's for sports nerds, like not just people who are into sports, but like nerds that are into sports who like math. And, uh, it's been going on for several years. I don't know, maybe seven years or something and just growing and growing and growing. 
Uh, it's helmed by Daryl Morey, who's the GM of the Rockets, and Jessica Gelman, who I'm not quite sure, but it's something with like Bob Kraft Enterprises or something. Uh, <laughs> this is like it's, it's data, something with data. Um, you know, I'm, I'm totally shortchanging her, but uh, I was unfamiliar with her before this conference. Um, but yeah, it's just this, it's like takes place in this massive convention center, like the Boston whatever convention center. Uh, 3,300 people in attendance. Barack Obama spoke at this year's conference. Um, and just a real, like, like an interesting combination of people across the sports industry, from team owners to athletes to media. Um, I mean, I, I, I was, like, at a bar, and the guy was like, what do you do? And I was like, I sell T-shirts. And I was like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a neuroscientist. And, like, that's the sort of thing that happens all the time at Sloan, where for two days I felt like the dumbest person in the room and it was a really big room. <laughs> I, um, I, I don't even know how to approach it. Cause I don't know how to envision this. This is like, I picture a, a conference, um, and I picture really boring PowerPoints and people doing their best Ted talk imitations, but the topic being really dull and uninteresting. Whereas it seems like the fundamental basis here is very interesting. What, what was your favorite, uh, you know, panel or whatever that you attended? Well, I will say it was like very much a typical like business conference. And, uh, this is the first conference I'd ever attended where I was not involved as like a speaker or a panelist or moderator or something like that. So that was kind of foreign. I was there just for the networking, the sweet, sweet networking. Um, and I got to say, it was the best conference I've ever attended. Like I was, do you think like, that was not, not was that because you weren't presenting? Well, I mean, there's something to be said for like not having to deal with the anxiety of being on a stage, but just the people that were there, it was just such an interesting cross section of people. Um, you know, like in the hotel lot, there's like two hotels everybody stays at. Like in the hotel lobby, I'm just like catching up on some work, you know, before dinner and like, you know, run into Henry Abbott who founded true hoop and is like a, just an OG, like NBA sports internet person. And, you know, I'm talking to him for a while. Uh, you know, then uh, Zach Lowe walks in and Zach Lowe's hanging out with us. And Zach Lowe's like my favorite NBA writer and podcaster and is on anybody's short list of like best, I'd say best sports writers and sports analysts working right now. And okay, now I'm hanging out with Henry and Zach. And then some other guy walks up and I think his name was Rick Renteria, who I don't know, but I get to meet him and he's like the director of analytics for the Pacers and was partially responsible for them getting that like home run Victor Oladipa deal last offseason. And he's got this crazy backstory where he was on Wall Street and retired at 30. Retired at 30. And now he's just like, you know what? I'm going to apply my analytical mind to basketball and I'm going to work for the Pacers. And this is just like a normal set of people to be hanging out with at the Sloan Conference for like an hour just because you're all there. And like that's what everybody is there to do. Now, you are also an OG internet sports blogger, uh, an entrepreneur, a, a leader, uh, and a t-shirt person. Can any random uh, person listening to the podcast go and hang out with all these people at the conference? Yeah, for the low, low price of $850. That's, a, <laughs> that's the general admission price. And I mean, the conference is like, there's, there's a giant room that was called the Bill James room. Because, you know, Bill James is like true, true OG, like data hall of famer. 
Um, yeah, he's real OG. Yeah, and he was there. I saw Bill James, and I, like my heart was a flutter. I was like, "Ooh, it's Bill James," you know. Um, but there was like the Bill James room. That's like the room that Obama spoke in, and it holds like three thousand people. And like, there's all there was almost always like something going on in there that was like people you've heard of on a stage uh, having like a panel discussion. And then there was like three other rooms where there would either be like panels or presentations or demos that were in progress. And then there was just like hallways full of people like mingling and networking. And there was like a, like a demo row of companies um, that had different like shit that you could check out or like free tchotchkes you could take with you. My favorite one of those, by the way, was um, Major League Baseball had like a VR um, demo that was like this new home run derby game. And I got to do, I got to compete in the home run derby at Nats Park in virtual reality. And How'd you do? I dropped bombs. I mean, it was awesome. It was so awesome. <laughs> like, um, I'm left-handed, so I felt like just a tinge of like what it is like to be Bryce Harper and hit like a 480-foot home run into the upper deck at Nats Park. Like that, that was really cool. Um, and I'm not a gamer, but that, that was maybe enough to get me into it. Did you did you also have fun watching other people wearing the rigs and pretending to hit home runs? Because I, I always enjoy that component of VR almost as much as actually participating in the VR myself. Well, I was totally judging. I'm sitting there watching these guys, and like I'm like, yeah, this person never really played baseball. <laughs> like <laughs> their swing, their fake VR swing is is not uh, what it needs to be. Like he wouldn't get it out of the infield. Um, but I think did you ask me? what my favorite talk was? Was that what the question yeah, I avoided? Yeah, that, that, that was it. I don't know if you avoided it, but we, we're just, hey man, we're just like two guys having a conversation here. You, you talk about whatever you want. Um, no, no, this, yeah, is, what was this, your is like, this is like the, the you know, Stoneman Douglas Town, this is like the Stoneman Douglas Town Hall where like the students are grilling the NRA spokeswoman. She just doesn't answer the question at all. That's pretty much how <laughs> I feel right now. It's being grilled. Yeah, the stakes are about that high for me also. Yeah, yeah, um, I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. So what was your favorite, whether it's a conference, a speech, or, or, or demo that you saw? What was, aside from the VR baseball, what was most interesting? Well, um, I mean, the Obama thing was incredible. But I think, like, my, like, just in terms of entertainment value and, like, being engaged with the discussion, the converse, there was a conversation. I don't even know what it was about. It was just, like, a converse, just a straight-up conversation. Moderated by Rachel Nichols with Steve Ballmer owner of the Clippers and, you know, Microsoft mega Titan, uh, and Nate Silver from 538. And it was like, first of all, Rachel Nichols is just like completely winning, just like wins the room over. She's so sharp and prepared and like just casual, you know what I mean? But like, that's how we do it in Montgomery County, man. Yeah. I mean, shout out to Rachel Nichols. She, she was just like a pro. Um, and this was like at a conference where, you know, like Carl Ravitch was interviewing the commissioner of baseball. It wasn't like they just had guys like me up there, uh, you know, asking these people questions. Like they had like people you see on TV all the time. And Rachel Nichols like sh- was like a shining light relative to that. Um, Steve Ballmer is everything you would expect him to be. Like if you've ever seen him talk or like his famous like Microsoft speech where he's like sweating through his shirt and like yelling at, at all the employees. He's like, developers, developers, developers. That like that is Steve Ballmer just like all the time, as far as I can tell. Um, and then to have that with like Nate Silver, who's like this very uh, he, like measured and like 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 understated, but like really uh, like sharp tongued. 
like he will talk shit. <laughs> um, like that combo is really interesting. Um, another interesting one was, um, God, I forget who the moderator was, but it was Ted Leonsis and Michael Rubin, who is like the chairman of the board of fanatics, um, you know, and other like multi-billion dollar companies. Um, because Ted, it was really, he said a couple really interesting things that stuck with me. Like one of the questions was like, will the NBA be the dominant sport or the dominant league in sports in like 10 years? And Ted was like, I mean, Michael Rubin was like, yep, yeah, they will be. And Ted was like, uh, no, esports will be. Like League of Legends and like Dota or whatever. I don't even know what the names of the leagues are. <laughs> will be the off dominant. To, off to a hot sport start to being the biggest sport. Uh, yeah, they, the they, 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 that was like that was like um, his answer. Like he really felt that. And Michael Rubin was like bullshit. <laughs> but but anyways, um, and Ted like owns a team, an esports team. I think like Team Liquid. I think he owns two. Yeah, he, yeah. He's definitely he's definitely bought in to the esports thing whole hog. Uh, that's for sure. Well, he had a great um, data point. I just thought it was like, just blew me away, which was that, uh, you know, he owns the, the caps and the whiz and he owns the building that they play in. And the building is, is, you know, uh, title sponsorship or whatever is with capital one. Now capital one is paying $10 million a year for those rights. Well, uh, the esports team liquid that I'd never heard of that Ted owns, like the, the guys on that team or women on that team, I, I don't know who's on that team. I'm guessing it's guys, probably guys. Um, they all live in a house somewhere in DC or like a condo or a townhouse or something. I don't know. I don't know where they live, but like wherever they live in DC is also sponsored. And I forget the sponsor. Let's just say it's like, you know, Mountain Dew. Not that I'm stereotyping. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> is the, the, the cost for that sponsorship per year is 4.5 million. So it's like, just the, the esports team I've never heard of, like the house they live in sponsorship is almost half of the sponsorship of the arena that the Wizards and the Caps play in. And that that was just just blew me away. Well, but I think the question has to be, and not to rehash the panel with two guys who really know very little about it other than that you have attended the panel and I've read two articles. But um, uh, is there? Did you feel in the room that there is like a buy-in to esports? That these, you know, industry forward thinkers and thought leaders are like actually into esports? Aside from Ted, who has a financial stake, because uh, you yes. can't become the biggest in the country, you know, without yes. people. Esports came up like again and again, because that's that's a very like common question. Would be like, you know, what what's going to grow the most, or like, you know, where would you invest, or you know, that sort of stuff, um, and esports came up again and again and the the problem for me is that like i just have no understanding whatsoever you know i'm just like you know i'm, I'm making a note of it like this is this will be big it already is <laughs> i i don't i don't get it um it makes me feel old and and slightly frightened but but i acknowledge its popularity well, it's it's it feels like the first thing where where people like us are probably better served just hiring some smart kid who already knows a lot about it than even trying to figure it out ourselves. Well, I think um, that's right. Like my, my company, I mean, we, we make t-shirts, we make apparel based on like what's trending and what the big moments are that we think could become merchandise. And we, you know, create that stuff really quickly. Like that's our whole model. And we're, we try to scale it 
across all sports and do MLB, NFL, NBA, blah, blah, blah. Well, it would make sense to me. Like, hey, we should we should also do esports and like, well, what? but I wouldn't even know how to identify the moments or like how to talk about them or like where to begin on licensing or, you know, like that's just a whole like blind spot. And I think, I think that's true for a lot of entities in the sports industry who would benefit from shining a light on it. Well, but that to me is sort of underlies what my, my question, which is that you can't be the biggest thing in the country until uh, or in the world until there's like mainstream penetration in non dedicated channels. Uh, like, so unless I walk into Sears and see the esports section or, you know, catch the esport commercials during uh, network sitcoms or whatever your definition of just normal people knowing about it is. Like, you know, you're talking about t-shirts and esports and my mind immediately went to the obvious joke of like, well, do you make triple XL? Which I'm a hundred percent sure is not accurate like I, that, that's such a dated awful stereotype and as a comic book nerd i should know better but i mean that's like right where my brain went you know i mean um, i already made the joke that they're probably all guys and that they love mountain dew um right so i, I don't know i feel like this i feel like we've taken a problematic turn we, we've definitely taken a problematic turn but but to the sloan to the point of the sloan conference it's interesting to me that industry forward thinkers think this is the next big thing and you and I are making, you know, dated geek culture, not even geek culture, right. like nerd shut-in culture jokes about it. That's a long, long, long bridge to cross to mainstream acceptance. Right. Well, you know, and I think Sloan itself is very mainstream at this point. Um, and it's grown out of like, you know, I don't know, like something that was probably held in like a conference room in 2010 into something that like requires the biggest convention center in Boston and the president is speaking at, but it almost feels like, like the, the spirit of it is like the nerds have won and like the internet has won, you know, like my people at this thing are not the people that work for the leagues or the teams or, uh, you know, are, are there from like a sports performance standpoint or, or even technology. I'm, my people are the media people. And all the media people at this thing are like the internet media people. You know, it's all the people who who came up through blogging and podcasting and social media and kind of have an independent spirit that have succeeded and become like known entities. Uh, so it's, it, I don't know, something you said there about like mainstream penetration, that, that just struck me because it's like, you know, the Zach Lowe's of the world are the ones like running this thing or the ones that are like featured at this thing. And those were guys that just like came up because they had a blog some, you know, they had started a blog eight years ago. So it looks like I, I, I wanted to look up and get some actual dates so we weren't just spitballing. It looks like uh, it, this was the 12th annual. Uh, random, random tidbit is that on the board and one of the two student co-leads of the inaugural MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference was a, a good buddy of mine from my small high school uh, in Rockville, Marshall Einhorn. Who, uh, wow. That's fascinating. I had no no idea. Um, uh, but yeah, so it looks like it's been going for 12 years now is the actual the actual time frame. We've been dancing around, uh, or I haven't been asking you directly on the Obama thing. What is the current policy? Are you allowed to tell us about it now that things leaked and it's been written up? Or are you not like, is that still covered in secrecy? Well, I guess that, I mean, you know, I, to give a little context, like Obama, it was known that Obama was going to be speaking at this event. And, uh, I think that news came out like a couple months ago 
and there was nobody really knew what he was going to be talking about. Presumably, he would be talking about sports and probably sports analytics. Um, and the day before he was set to appear, uh, which was Friday, all attendees got an email with like some logistic stuff, like, "Hey, you know, he's going he's to be speaking at two o'clock promptly, and the line forms at one thirty and uh, then he starts to get a little like, you know, it's like no pictures, no video. Um, but then it starts going a little bit further and it's like no tweeting, no social media posting, uh, you know, no broadcasting or, sh- or public sharing of like his comments or this conversation during or after. Now that's, that's interesting. Like why yeah. would this be off the record in perpetuity? You know, like I, I saw him speak at the South by Southwest conference in 2016. Very similar thing. You know, the topics was, were oh, a little so different. Um, you're like an Obama hipster. You know, you saw him when he was talking sports in a small room. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like an Obama head. Like I fall, I'm right. like selling rule in the parking lot. Um, yeah. No, the, the best was when he covered all of, uh, all of dark side, uh, at new year's Eve, uh, 2000. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. I've got the tapes from his, uh, 2016 appearance at South by, um, if he oh, wants to trade, you, uh, if he wants to trade, yeah. let me see what I got. I may have something for you after the podcast. We'll talk about it. I definitely want those, uh, man. but he, but that, that conversation in Austin at South by Southwest was more geared towards technology and, and, uh, you know, maybe like, culture at large because that conference has become more about film and music and whatever. Um, I thought that conversation was actually more interesting and revealing and perhaps like headline making, but it was all open, you know, like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I I was posting shit on Instagram, like that's the president. And, and here's me like 500 feet away. Um, and that was all open, but this was closed and I still don't understand why. Because after the fact, well, I for, even before he went on, like there were sites like Awful Announcing that were like, uh, you know, sports reporters going to be attending this Obama speech or, or whatever. And, and they're sworn to secrecy, like it's off the record, you know, isn't that strange or whatever. And then after the fact, like it was used by kind of like right wing punditry as, as whatever, whatever they use shit for. But it was like, you know, uh, the Hill, you know, conservative publication, like mm-hmm. 3 million Twitter followers just tweeting like, you know, Obama's like nefarious off the record, secret speech in Boston, like contents revealed question mark, you know, that sort of thing. And like that, that sort of stuff has now been going on for like two or three days after the fact, like that sort of like, uh, speculation about what, what the hell he said, why was this so secretive? It's Obama. It's scary. Well, in fact, and it looks like, like I, mean, I mean, I will freely say, well, for freely for now until Daryl Morey finds me and throws me in like nerd jail. Uh, right. Although it'd be exciting to know that Daryl Morey made it this far into the podcast. There was just no reason for that. No reason for it to be off the record. I don't know why they decided to do that. It could have been Obama's request for all I know. I have no idea. Well, I mean, they were so honestly the just thing. talking about like sports and leadership and like innocuous shit like if you were an NBA free agent where would you want to sign you know what I mean like that stuff I, I, I still have like he didn't say and even if it was on the record he didn't say anything that was worth a headline so I, I don't know the whole thing was very I mean it was a thrill to like be in his orbit 
again, you know, as, as yeah. I'm a long time yeah. Obama follower. You continue sport. to follow him. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, that was awesome. I, you know, it was a total highlight for me, but I, I'm also like super puzzled by why they chose to do it that way. So, so here's where things stand right now. I again did some quick googling to make sure I can be accurate. Uh, the audio of the speech did leak. It went to Reason.com, which I guess is a um, uh, libertarian website or something. I don't really know. Um, all of the articles and headlines about it basically summarize what you just said, which is that like, there's no reason this was off the record. The only thing weird about it is that it was off the record, which ironically uh, puts me in mind of like the whole Bohemian Grove thing where, you know, allegedly like uh, the, the, the elites of the, the country have these uh, weird rituals and things happen. Right. And th their argument is always like, yeah, we have a private party, but, you know, it's, it's not, it's nothing, well, nothing major. So that's I, what this feels like. I, I mean, I, if I, if I kind of turn it a little bit, I could see how the way that this played out where it's on, it's news that this was off the record. Like that's news in and of itself. And it's like, Oh, the leaked audio and all, you know, mm -hmm. the secret like elite conference that Obama spoke at. That's all I think very good for Sloan and Sloan's profile, you know, like sure. I mean, most people didn't know this was happening. Sure. And, but it and, seems really bad for Obama. I mean, it, it seems, seems like that, really that, well, clumsy well, well, for Obama. Well, that, right. That's why, like, in my initial instinct, and probably my lingering one, is like, why? <laughs> yeah. It, it makes no... It's 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 clunky in a way that he and his people usually are not. Uh, you know what the most shocking thing about all this is to me? So to find this out, I googled Obama Sloan. Okay, those are the two words I used uh, to do a quick Google search. Uh, leaving aside the, whatever they're called, the... AS, the, the little cards at the top that are top stories. Yeah. Uh, um, the top three links. Uh, number one comes from Boston.com. Uh, audio of Barack Obama's off the record appearance at the MIT Sloan Conference. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, number two is from Recode.net. What did Barack Obama say at his secret sports speech in front of dot, dot, dot. And Deadspin uh, doesn't clock in until third on the link list. Now, there are 12 hours. Uh, Boston.com, that was at 13 hours. Uh, it feels to me like that's a that's a major slip off on Deadspin's part. It feels like in the old days they would have SEO'd that right up to the top there. Um, <laughs> really disappointed in them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it actually, I mean, it presents an interesting media question, which is, what if he said something? You know, like what if? I mean, it wasn't a room full of reporters, but it was a room where like ten percent of the people were reporters. Like, what if he said something? they would have almost had to break this embargo and potentially been, I don't know, banned by Sloan on Daryl well, Moore's I mean, shit list. I don't know. Like, it I, depends I, what I, he I, said. We had this conversation, like this was, you know, the, in media circles, it was a bit of a conversation, which was like, uh, if he said anything interesting, it was going to get out. But it would be an interesting, like, burden of responsibility to say, okay, if I'm a reporter at ESPN or Bleacher Report or SI, am I going to be the one who does it and go out on a limb like that when you've attended this kind of like in agreement, you know, like you are, you've been told that these are the rules and you showed up, you did not dispute it, <laughs> um, well, but he didn't really I, say anything. Well, I feel like there's no there's no gray area. I feel like he's either going to do what he did, which is say a bunch of stuff that's you know interesting to the attendees, but of no yeah. no need to break your embargo, or he's going to say you know 
I'm buying the uh, you know the Wizards or something, and that that anybody's going to break the embargo on that immediately. Right. Um, but, or he's going to say, you know, Trump is destroying this country, and I'm leading the revolution. It starts here, which I think is worth being banned from future Sloan conferences to go ahead and tweet that. You know, um, I just I don't see what the gray area is. I, you know, what, what what would make you think? I I I I mean, I think. It's interesting that it was entirely off the record because I, I, it struck me that he was so measured in his words, even with these somewhat innocuous like subject matter. You could have listened to him on like three x speed, <laughs> and I uh... like he he. There was so many opportunities given just the, the 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 conference itself and and the line of questioning, which was very much about like you know data and facts. And, you know, like logical thinking for him to take shots, it would have been very easy. And he, he kept going high, you know, like he never went for like an applause line or like a dig on the current administration or, you know, like it was just interesting that it was like off the record and he was measured and he was like, did not like take the knives out. Your question about what would make people tweet, uh, I want to I sidebar off that real quick. Did you see the Chad Dukes, Ian Rappaport thing that happened yesterday? I, I only saw a headline that Rappaport hung up on Dukes and then Dukes went on a rant, but I have not heard yeah. the rant or read about it. I read about it. I read, I read the awful announcing summary of the incident. Uh, Chad Dukes, uh, 106.7 The Fan, DC Sports Talk host, um, was having Ian Rapport on to talk about, I guess, whatever it is that you have an alleged NFL insider on to talk about, about five minutes, seven minutes into the conversation. Rapport said, I have to take a call. Uh, apparently, he had done the same thing to Dukes earlier in the day on like a pre-tape segment or something. I wasn't totally clear on what that was. And then, yes, Dukes went on a, a crazy rant about how awful and unprofessional this was, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it raised a question. Uh, somebody else brought it up on Twitter. It was not me, but it was a good point. Like, what is an actual sports scoop? Like, what would what would be worth... I mean, sports scoops are so meaningless in general because it's basically like, hey, do you want to tweet this news out? seven minutes before the intern hits send on the press release. Well, what's it worth to a fan? Not a whole lot because the information is going to find its way out. You know, it's, it, it's, it's not going to take long, you know, whether it's Ian Rappaport or it's Adam Schefter or Jay Glazer. What's it worth to those guys? Well, a whole hell of a lot. Yes. But there's, a, there's, a, there's another, there's another level up, which is why the only reason it's worth a lot to those guys is because they are paid handsomely for that. Why is it worth money to ESPN or CBS or NFL or whoever to get this news out seven minutes ahead? I mean, and, and I ask this having been on the other side where occasionally we would know things firmly and have the press release typed up and just have to wait for it to break before we were allowed to release the news. So the new, it's not like, it's like gambling on professional wrestling. The news is out there. The things exist. It's not like, oh, there's a situation occurring live that we have to send you to immediately. It is, I was the one who managed to get somebody to tell me this first uh, before right. they hit send. I, you know, I, I really don't know because it almost, putting a high value on scoops has kind of pushed many reporters in a direction where it, almost appears as if they're working for Twitter as opposed to their, their publisher, you know, whether it's Adrian Wojnarowski or, or the other guys I just mentioned or Ken Rosenthal, like they're putting the scoops out on Twitter and kind of pissing on the tree 
like that's my scoop. Yep. And that's my timestamp. You, you never really have to like go to any of those publications to like get the news because you're on Twitter. That's where the news happens. That's that's where these guys are putting the news. So that's always been a bit confounding, like for me as someone who has been the employer and manager of different reporters and people who would potentially have this information is like, yeah, you want to be part of the conversation and regard it as like a, a thought leader or a newsbreaker or whatever. But I don't know how much value there is in that to the fans themselves. The one thing I'll say is that if you're an ESPN, it, it, it's meaningful to them. And I think it really, it really like harms their perception if they're constantly running other people's scoops in the crawl you know like if, yeah. if, if Marcus Peters gets traded to San Diego and they have to say that Jay Glazer broke that instead of Adam Schefter like that matters to them I'm not sure still if it matters to fans but it, it, I know that it matters to them I know that it matters to them too, but I just can't figure out why. I feel, yeah. and I realize we've, we've detoured totally, but it just it feels like there's this kayfabe uh, in place where we all pretend that sports are actual news and that uh, uh, you know a, an agency devoted to covering sports is the same as an agency breaking actual news, and we hold them to the same standards. It seems like if ESPN one day just wanted to sit down as a corporate entity and say, you know what? We don't care who breaks the news. We're just going to report it to you. Uh, it, it's, it, we don't. We don't believe that the breaking of the news is what's interesting. What's interesting is our analysis and presentation of the news. Uh, you know, go ahead, CBS, have fun. Let Lock In Four do everything. I don't think the landscape for the fan would change even slightly. Uh, and I think ESPN would save a tremendous amount of money and stress. I think it would put a bunch of people out of jobs. But I just, it just seems like we've all sort of uniformly agreed to pretend that this is significant. Um, and I don't know why. It's right. baffling. Yeah. So, I, I mean, well, also, it's because like these these are all like like scoops of inevitability. Like they're exactly. all, all of its information that is going to come out. Like whether right. it's today or tomorrow or this minute or next hour, it's not like they're shining a light on some meaningful bit of news that's that's you know in secret or that would remain hidden or that is damaging to some party or another. Like I don't know. You're, it is interesting, but it seems to be that, you know, big sports media orgs are doubling down on this when you've got, you know, people like Wojnarowski jumping from Yahoo to ESPN. And, and uh, you know, there's certainly a competitive market for sports newsbreakers. So, Sloan, back, back to Sloan. What yep. um, what app should we be on? You know, what's, what's the next, uh, you know, what's going to be the next big thing for sports? Can you, can you figure it out? Uh, whatever we use for our podcast going forward, that's awesome. going to be the big, that's going to be the biggie. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think because it wasn't necessarily about that. Um, I will say that the part of the reason I was there was we made t-shirts for a new media company called the action network mm -hmm. and the action network uh, which is run by this guy, Chad Millman, who was like the editor in chief of ESPN, the magazine, and maybe even ESPN.com. He's now like the, the head of media for Action Network and Action Network's for gamblers. They basically created this new sports media brand that's super focused on gambling and it has an app component. And it, it's like not just covering like the Super Bowl or whatever. It's covering like, you know, what, what's today's like Winthrop versus UNC Asheville game, like in depth to give you like the best angle on that action. Um, I'm not a gambler, 
but the fact that they're investing resources and doing this level of like sophisticated coverage of gambling is really interesting because that was like a common thread through Sloan as well was the legalization of gambling and how that will unfold. Like the NBA is talking about taking a 1% like integrity fee on all NBA wagers, you know, and that's, that's a huge point of contention. There's conversation about, okay, well, it's going to be inevitable that it'll be legalized, but there's this contingent that wants it to happen only in brick and mortar establishments, almost like a, you know, dog track or something. Um, you know, so that, that was a, like the action networks. One thing, I think that's an interesting thing and they're a partner of ours. And that's part of why I was there to begin with, but just the gambling in general and how that seems to be like an inevitable, like shockwave that's coming to sports, uh, was, was a big theme as well. How, um, uh, w- w- did you meet anybody else in your space in the, the instant or rapid reaction, uh, you know, merch space or you, you guys still have that staked out? I think we got that staked out pretty well. Um, th- you know, I, I was kind of an odd duck being there, you know, like there wasn't like any other like merchandise people, but I mean, we're using analytics and like social data in a way that other merchandise companies aren't. So that, that was kind of like my entree and, uh, and right. being there. But what was so striking was that like, you just walk around and you run into the craziest people. Like I, I took a piss and it was like rushing out to get to a talk and a rod is just sitting there outside of the bathroom in like a nice leather chair, like in a corner. So he's like kind of out of the, you know, like he's by the bathroom. It's not like in the middle mm-hmm. of, the, of the mix, sure. but he's just like sitting there. And for some reason, like situated in a way where he's like staring at the entrance slash exit to the bathroom. So oh, I like, come out of the bathroom and I'm just like, Hey Rod, <laughs> hello. <laughs> it's my fly down. Um, <laughs> A-Rod, by the way, in my opinion, terrible panelist. Um, really? What did he talk about? Himself, Allegedly. his corporation. He's like, my corporation is all is run by women. You know, I, that's great. But, like, it felt, like, braggy. Um, talking about J-Lo. I don't know. It, do I don't even think, know what he's talking about. You, I saw, like, half of do, it, and I kind of got bored. Do you think he was hanging out outside the bathroom because he has like that nostalgic longing for drug testing that he's just like, maybe if I sit here long enough, somebody will come over and ask me to go in there and pee in a cup. Is that, is that possible? I think he just knows the mirrors are in there. <laughs> um, no, I, I, uh, I think he was just there cause he didn't want to be bothered. Like he was just kind of like off to the side and, and whatever. Uh, but there was like, I don't know, just randomly like like there was big deal guys like a-rod and steve nash and chris bosh and like jeremy lynn i don't know if he should be in that mix but like you know that sort of set of of like known athletes known figures um and then there was like total randos like i i ran into cherokee parks cherokee parks still exists cherokee parks all seven foot of him like all the tats wearing a suit and he's probably in his forties now. Um, I, I Googled this. Like, first of all, he was not like part of any of the, the literature around the conference. Like there was no like Cherokee parks mention. And then I Googled it and there's like no explanation of like what he's doing now, but he was there in a suit attending the Sloan conference. And I'm still like puzzled by this. If anybody knows, please hit me up. So um, it seems reasonably certain that he wasn't just sort of, you know, uh, panhandling or anything. No, I mean, he was, I, he appeared to be networking, um, <laughs> but uh, so it, the, 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 the tats, 
suit combo because the suit was like kind of like ill-fitting he almost looked to me like he was ready for his day in like small town court you know like traffic court <laughs> or whatever <laughs> he had gotten a speeding ticket and was there to, to fight it um but i tweeted something about seeing cherokee parks and like other people were responding to me like oh that's great but guess what i ran into pops mensa bonsu <laughs> Pops Vince Abonsu was there? I didn't see him. Uh, another guy was like, yeah, Nazir Muhammad in the house. I'm like, so, okay. Uh, I totally missed this. But there was so the those random yeah. athletes. Yeah, it was a very interesting dynamic. So from a certain perspective, it's the physical manifestation of that occasional Twitter game of, like, name the first random basketball player from 15 years ago that pops into your head. Um yeah, kind of. And basketball, it was. I mean, I I don't think I've mentioned this, but if you know anything about Sloan, you probably know this already. It's very NBA leaning, if not dominant. I'd say it's more like there's definitely more NBA um, speakers, panels, demos, participants, attendees than than any other sport. And I think that's because of its origins. You know with Daryl Moore right. involved. He used to work for the Celtics and the Rockets. And, uh, I, you know, I, but it, that also came across, I said about like esports and gambling being big themes, like the rise, the continued rise of the NBA. was another dominant topic. Like everybody seems quite bullish on the NBA's prospects. I don't think you and I have talked about that. Do you buy into that narrative? I hear it mainly, um, put forth on, uh, Ringer podcasts and Bill Simmons products and Bill Simmons of course is buddies with Daryl Morey was one of the first ones to really popularize the Sloan conference outside of uh, in the sort of niche world um, and is also a huge NBA fan um, do you buy into that narrative the rise of the NBA yeah I do I, I mean I think I think all the numbers indicate that it's rising in popularity I think it has a star system that's unmatched in American sports and a dramatic narrative that's unmatched in American sports. Um, there's, it's the most social of the leagues in terms of like, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook followings and engagement. Um, it skews younger. Uh, it's more popular with, with the youngsters. Uh, it's, it's kind of like in terms of, you know, social issues both with regard to like what parents want their like type of sport they want their kids to be playing i'd say it's on the right side of that uh it's not harmful i guess is what i'm trying to say um and then also in terms of like broader social issues about you know race and violence and equality and and all the things that are kind of like hot button in america right now they are progressive in a way that the other major sports are not and it's not even close the NFL took a lot of shit for like the the Kaepernick uh, inspired like kneeling uh, protest, um, which is kind of I think ironic because so, relative to the NBA, so few NFL players speak out. Uh, so I don't know. I, I feel like that it's complicated, of course, but I feel like that's actually to the NBA's long term benefit that their players have a voice and stand for something beyond the sport. And I think that will continue to resonate with the young, young generation. It's funny, because I've, I've always been slightly skeptical of it um, because I'm a naturally obnoxious person at times. But when you said social, I, I, I went and looked just to see. Uh, the 
Golden State Warriors Twitter account, uh, the official team Twitter, uh, has 5.5 million followers, uh, and their banner right now reads, Black History is Golden. Uh, the Redskins, uh, by comparison, have 1.25 million followers. Their banner right now is Ryan Kerrigan, one of the white players on the team. Uh, the New England Patriots, uh, who are perhaps a more fair comparison from a, a you know winning standpoint, um, uh, 4.25 million followers, so still a million and 0.3 fewer. Uh, and their banner is five players, three of whom uh, are black, two of whom are white, uh, and it looks like just their stock banner that they probably just keep up there. And are the white patriots? Are the white patriots holding tiki torches? <laughs> no, I mean, Only... that, I, I'm like being a total <laughs> asshole right now, but no, but I mean that that, that like uh, small sample comparison checks out when you look at it writ large across the whole league like as part of my job like we we researched this and like the nba has a larger social following than the nfl it's not close when you include all of the teams and players and in the league itself and you look across platforms it's not close now you could say well look at tv ratings the nfl is ahead and it's not close Fair enough. But I, if I was to say which one of those is going to be a barometer of future success and growth, I would certainly look towards uh, the social engagement. That's really interesting. I'm genuinely fascinated. All right. What else do we need to know about Sloan? We've been talking for a while. We should probably wrap it up. Oh, well, man. Um, what Bo- stories do you Boston, have? What do you want to tell Boston us? Boston beer is not great. Really? I'm, this I'm, is a, this I, is a hot take. I mean, Go this is, it. again, small sample size. Um I went to like three different places that had a lot of beer on tap and I can't even remember offhand. I have to check like my untapped app check-ins to tell you what I drank. I'd say most of it, I would give like a three point something, which to me is like a very average to bad beer and some of it like a low force, which is like, you know, good to very good. Um, but you know, I, I, I was told that like Trillium is like where it's at in terms of Boston beer. But it's interesting, yeah. like, in Boston, like, you have to actually go to Trillium to get the Boston beer. They will not distribute, like, outside of the brewery in Boston. If you live away from Boston, it's distributed, but not in Boston. Oh, that's so interesting, that. yeah. Because um, I've definitely had like, some good Trillium stuff. The, the thing is, like, I've definitely had some good New England-style IPAs. That's, like, that's hot shit now. Sure. That juicy, yeah. uh, kind of hazy IPA. I had, uh, I did not have any good New England-style IPAs in New England, <laughs> Like they were just not, they were more malty tasting instead of juicy. I, I don't know. It wasn't my, it wasn't my thing. I, maybe I needed a better beer guide. I was kind of like just doing this on my own. Uh, but yeah, three different places that had like extensive tap lists and overall I would say the beer was just average. That's so weird. Cause like I was in Florida a week or two ago, I don't remember when, after the cruise and just stop into a random restaurant and pick whatever the one on tap is that I haven't heard of before. Mm-hmm. And in general, I would say just the average strike weight rate was at least a three, seven. And that's without even trying. And where that's was a, this? Uh, I was in Tampa. Um, was cigar and, city among the, uh, I definitely had some cigar city, but yeah. I had heard of that. And I, uh, you know, so that, that was one I had first. And then I went from there. That was, was surprisingly, Surprisingly decent stuff. I stopped in a beer store in Virginia, um, not far in Arlington, um, and it was like a, you know a, a bougie upscale beer store. But um, it was bizarre. I would say forty percent of what was on the shelves I'd never even heard of before. It was 
local enough that up in Maryland, we don't get it. And I had not seen or heard of it. I had to ask the guys as if I was in from another country, what they could recommend. It was just a fascinating experience. So I'm really disappointed to hear that about Boston. You know, uh, way to I, let me down, Boston. My, my schedule was like really packed because I was only there for two nights. I had to get back home for a daddy daughter dance on Saturday night. Uh, barely made it, by the way. Not a terrible dad who has scarred his daughter for life. Uh, quite the opposite, yeah. in fact. Made it at the last minute and was a true hero. Um, parents um, but I had like no downtime really, uh, to explore Boston, but I thought to myself, like other than Fenway park, which I've been to twice and, and just think is like a magical place. I don't have like a Boston wish list or like a Boston bucket list. Like, I don't really know what to do in Boston. And not, this is more of my own ignorance because I haven't spent a lot of time there and I didn't do any research. Um, but the thought did occur to me, like if I did have like a half day to just go do some shit, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> well, yeah, it does seem like some research would probably benefit you there. I mean, I have no answers off the top of my head either. I always just go eat is what I do when I have a half day in the city. So uh, I'm useless. To I you. guess I would have gone to Trillium. That would have been. Yeah, there, there uh, you go. But also like weather is weather is wild. I don't know if you've heard this, Matt, but weather is wild and tends to fluctuate. But all three days I was in Boston, it was in the 70s and even the low 80s in Wilmington, North Carolina, and sunny. Uh, like, my family's at the beach. I'm in Boston. It's, like, 30s and low 40s and, like, rainy snow for three days. Like, did, that did not leave a good impression. I can see without a downer. Hey, wait, I have another Sloan, Sloan question. Um, I don't know if you're going to know the answer to this, but I'm looking at the 2018 speakers page because I was trying to see if there's anybody I wanted to ask if you had seen. And most of the speakers are in alphabetical order. So, for example, uh, your friend and mine, uh, President Barack Obama, uh, you know, falls directly between like uh, Scott O'Neill, the CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, and Ted Olson, a partner at Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher. Um, however, at the very top are four people. That is Rob Manfred, Commissioner of the MLB. Angus McNabb, sports data and content executive. Uh, Ravi Ramanini, director of soccer analytics for the Seattle Sounders. And Mina Kimes, senior writer and columnist for ESPN. Why are those four people out of alphabetical order at the very top of this list? Do you know? I have no idea. But I did they see like Mina Kimes. I actually wanted to meet her because I'm like a follower on Twitter and whatever. Yeah, she's a she's, great follower on cool. Twitter. She wrote, yeah. a, wrote a great story about Aaron Rodgers earlier this year. She's on TV a lot. Wanted to meet her, didn't get a chance, but I did attend her panel, and and she was, I, I'm not gonna say Rachel Nichols level because I, I I went like very high praise on Rachel Nichols, but but she did very well just in terms of command of subject matter and and just like, you know, making it seem like a normal conversation, even though it was like a panel of like sports dudes that maybe she would never like cross paths with other than in a working situation. Do you um do you listen to her podcast with Dominique Foxworth at all? No, but that was another guy who was there who I really wanted to meet that I did not get to meet. He, um, the, he, he seems great. I think he's terrific. I really, I want to talk to him. I mean, he a turd and uh, he, he a DMV guy. He's just an interesting dude. There's just a lot of interesting stuff about that guy. But I really, think they're totally- really good, really good writer, by the way. He wrote some stuff for For the Win while I was there where I was like, damn, like this guy is a, not just like, oh, he's like an athlete blogger or whatever. Like he was an awesome writer and then ESPN hired him like right away. Oh yeah, no, he's he's like, he's a bizarre, uh, fascinating list of stuff. Like he was what he was, he was the 
uh, chief operating officer of the NBPA. He went to Harvard Business School and got NFL, an MBA. NFLPA. I'm sorry, NFLPA. Uh, no, this this definitely says NBPA. Yeah. But he was an NFL player. Yeah, totally was. He was definitely at the NFLPA. I knew that. He was, oh, maybe, uh, well, I guess yeah, he was maybe, a player. I don't know, maybe he could do basketball too. I don't, I don't know. know. I, apparently it was because I was looking at his Wikipedia page to get, make sure I got things right. So, of course, then I got them wrong uh, because Wikipedia. But no, but he and Kimes, I think, are terrific. I think they're just a really good podcast where it's like a lot of information, but really interestingly delivered. Um, she's great. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear that it conveyed live also. That's very cool. But that doesn't account for why she's on the top row of this, no. uh, you know, Eight, 18 rows ahead of the president, former president of the United States. Yeah, that um, you would bury the Obama is, uh-huh. uh, is not... <laughs> if I have Obama in my conference, I'm like printing flyers and putting them up everywhere. Yeah, only at Sloan do you put the director of soccer analytics for the Seattle Sounders uh, way up at the top and just bury Obama down there in the middle. Um, awesome. Anything else we need to talk about today, man? What's Kirk Cousins doing? <sighs> God... I don't know. I, I, I thought we were kind of a little bit out of the cousin wilderness. And then I just saw like Twitter conversation today about like, well, we could tag him and get a second round pick. And I'm like, what can we just, oh. can we just not? <laughs> like, your, your, your guy, Brenton Portis has been banging that drum hard over on Burgundy blog and his associated outlets. He is convinced that that's the move to make that that's the, the, the cold blooded, uh, you know, smart move to make to get something back for him. Um, I think it sounds like a nightmare, just not worth the trouble. But well, if he is into that. Adjacent point to this is uh, if you really want to get yourself twisted up on Alex Smith and just confused about how to feel about him, listen to J.P. Finley's dueling podcast, uh, Redskins Talk podcast. One episode was Doug Farrar from Bleacher Report, and one episode was Andy Benoit from SI, I want to say. Mm, and yeah. both of them are very big, like... You know, like they, they're very proud of watching the all 22 film. They're oh, like yeah. That type of guy. And by the yeah. way, I mean, I, I like both these guys, especially Doug, who I've worked with. But they're like students of the game, film breakdown guys, and could not be on like, like further apart on Alex Smith. So, like, Doug's like all in. He's going to make the Redskins better. Like, whatever. You should feel good about it. Benoit's like, oh, no. Like, he, he's going to miss a ton of throws. He's going to be very limited by the system. They're actually going to be work, worse with Smith than Cousins. So, yeah, I spent like an hour listening to those two, and now I, I don't feel any different. I'm just, like, conflicted on the whole thing. See, it's funny, because I listen to those two, and I've never worked with either guy. Uh, I don't know anything about them except for what I've read. And, uh, therefore, I have a low opinion of Andy Benoit or Benoit or whatever his name is. Um, it might be Benoit. I, I don't know why I said Benoit. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't sure. either. I, I don't know. But uh, he... He, you know, he's somebody that like Deadspin likes to pick on for stupid things. Drew McGarry likes to roast him occasionally. He's said a lot of stupid stuff. And uh, so I was predisposed to think of him as an idiot uh, going into it. And when I listened to him, my problem was his description of Kirk Cousins and what made Kirk Cousins good and limited him in the Redskins bore little to no resemblance with to the Kirk Cousins that I've been watching for the last um, however many years. Now, right. I have not seen the All-22. I've only watched the normal, you know, whatever you can see, three or five guys that the network shows me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that made me not agree with his overall point because I just, I was like, you, you are not talking about the Kirk Cousins that I've seen. It's not well, accurate. Here, here's the thing. I, I think, like, I, I, I trust, like, Jay Gruden and even, you know, heaven forbid, the Redskins front office and their assessment on Alex Smith versus Kirk Cousins 
or, or just Alex Smith, Alex Smith on his own, then I do like Doug and or Andy looking at film while also looking at like film for every, all 32 teams. You know, like I, yeah. I trust that more. I also kind of trust like the actual, like overall performance and like measurable, uh, you know, statistics than I do. Like, it seems like when people watch a lot of film, they put a lot of emphasis on specific moments that could have been aberrations. Like, I, I, I heard in, in those podcasts a couple times, like, oh, well, you know, with that throw he made at the end of the Seahawks game, that shows you that he can, like, improvise and, like, go off schedule and make the big play. And I'm like, yeah, he did it once. <laughs> you know, like, like he's, an, he's an, like a, a good NFL quarterback that's going to happen every now and again. And on the other end of it, like, well, you saw he made those terrible throws against New York in December. Like, you just can't have that. And, like, yeah. You can't have that. But he played 16 games. He was the starter for three straight years. Like, you're going to have that. Not everybody can be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. So I don't know. I, I, I wasn't too swayed, but I was conflicted about the kind of dueling opinions of, by two guys who were looking at the same shit. Yeah, I, my opinion of Cousins has just continued to crater so much uh, ever since, mainly because nothing to do with him or his performance or actual football, but just I'm so tired of Kirk Cousins' continued existence in my media life that like uh, I've now talked myself all the way around into being exceedingly happy he's gone regardless of who is in his place and who they had to give up to get him there. Well do you want to well do you want to hear me talk about it some more? Yeah absolutely. What what else what are your further thoughts on other people think like uh like the Vikings appear to be clearing the decks to pursue Kirk Cousins because why would you want Case Keenum for cheap uh when you could pay Kirk Cousins a whole lot of money. See, here's what I don't know. I don't know if I want him to go to the Vikings and excel because of the situation in Minnesota or go to the, like, the Jets and just, like, crater. Oh, you see, I think you've missed the most appealing option, which is he goes to the Vikings and fails to excel and essentially shuts the window on what should be a really promising run for the Vikings. Um, well, I guess that would be good for us. That would, that would take one contender out of the equation. It would. That would. That would. Right. Which leaves only. Let's see. There are how many teams in the only fourteen more contenders between us and the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, I don't think we really need to be counting the uh, the teams that are above the Redskins in the pecking order. Let's no. just let's just worry about getting getting back to the right side of five hundred. That's right. If we can just get back to eight, seven, and one again, we will. Uh, everything will be okay. Hey, three winning seasons out of four years. It's the first <laughs> time that's happened since nineteen ninety two or whatever. All right, punch us out of here, Jamie. <laughs> All right. Uh, any, anything you you got you got to plug? Uh, no, I um I think I just had a actually I think I had a column post last week that I totally forgot to look for and share on social and whatnot, uh, which would be me writing. Um, very uh, about about the racist incident at the Caps game, and I tied it to something else, and I, I don't even remember anymore. I'll see, but yeah, go to the City Paper. I still write there. Check it out; it's good stuff. All right, good. Well, you know these non DC sports podcasts have been very popular, so I'm sure you'll get a number of page views, and literally a number. Like it could be one. All right, that does it for the Mister Relevant podcast. Like I said, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, but also be on the lookout for us jumping to a new feed and a new app sometime soon. Until then, stay tuned.